0: Sponsorship of the KQED live audio stream comes from Xfinity Mobile, featuring customized wireless plans. Customers can choose unlimited, buy the gig, shared data, or a mix of both and switch it up anytime. Learn more at XfinityMobile.com. Please note, this podcast is a little racy in spots. If you have a delicate constitution and choose to continue listening, good for you. From KQED in San Francisco, this is the writer's block. Hi, my name is Doug Dorst, and I'm the author of the novel Alive in Necropolis, which is this year's selection for the One City, One Book, San Francisco Reads program. I currently live in Austin, Texas, but I've spent most of my adult life in the Bay Area. I did my undergrad work at Stanford and later held a Wallace Stegner Fellowship there as well. I also went to law school at UC Berkeley and practiced law for a short time at a San Francisco firm. The first two drafts of this book were written while I was living in the city and teaching at Stanford and at the California College of the Arts. Alive in Necropolis is a novel that takes place primarily in San Francisco and in the nearby city cemetery complex of Colma. The protagonist, Michael Mercer, is a young police officer in Colma, charged with keeping the peace in this city of the dead. I'm going to read the novel's prologue, which is a kind of guided tour to Colma to help set the scene and the tone for the rest of the book. A rare sunny morning comes to Colma. The sky brightens over San Bruno Mountain, bruised blues giving way to baby-cheek pinks and teases of gold. Navigation lights blink red and resolute atop the radio towers that scar the broad, rambling summit. Sunlight creeps across the green valley in which Colma is nestled, wicking away the dew from the lawns of the city's residents. 1,200 of these residents are alive, They do what living people do, work jobs, sweat on treadmills, make love, incur debt, celebrate birthdays, worry about aging, watch primetime TV, pray, complain about the weather. Another two million of these residents are already dead. No one knows for sure what they do, if they do anything but lie mute, immobile, decaying. But some of the living have their suspicions. As the sun makes its way across the valley, it shines first on the Cypress golf course. Underneath these 17 acres of Bermuda grass and fescue is the potter's field, where the beggars of cobblestone San Francisco were buried in numbered graves and forgotten. Four golfers in primary colored windbreakers take practice swings on the first tee, whipping metal gleam arcs through the crisp morning air. A greenskeeper backs a long-bed golf cart out of the maintenance shed, and a lone, golden-crowned sparrow answers the cart's reverse warning beeps with a plaintive, unrequited song. The first golfer tees up his ball and takes his stance with the light morning wind luffing his nylon sleeves. As he swings, his plastic spikes slip in the wet tee box, and he slices the ball dead right, a line drive into the pine trees and scrub. He mutters a curse, blaming himself for his first tee jitters, But then the ball thwocks against something in the woods and caroms out, skidding ahead on the slick grass and rolling to a stop in the center of the fairway, just a choked-down eight-iron away from the green. He turns and grins as his friends moan their disbelief, ''Lucky son of a bitch, somebody's looking out for you today.'' And they continue their round, nine holes, played twice. It never occurs to him that the brownish scuff on his ball did not come from a tree or a rock or a log but from a misshapen human skull coughed up by the shifting earth of the fault line valley. The glow of morning spreads over the easternmost cemeteries of Colma, Olivet Memorial Park, the Serbian Cemetery, Pets Rest, and the two Chinese cemeteries, Hoi Sun Memorial and Golden Hills, across Hillside Boulevard. Nocturnal gamblers emerge from the front doors of the Lucky Chance's 24-hour card house, slack and pale as fish in a bucket. They rub their eyes in the morning light, then collapse into their cars and drive away. All of them, the winners, the losers, the breakers even, will be gnawed at by the if-onlys until the next time they rest their elbows on the soft green bays and ante up. The day advances into Holy Cross Cemetery, Colma's oldest, A former potato field blessed in 1892 as a Catholic cemetery to serve San Francisco. Skyrocketing land values had convinced city dwellers that death was best dealt with elsewhere, and it was roundly agreed that a ten mile trip southward was not an onerous journey for the dead to make. A mere step or two, in fact, compared to the great voyages on which their souls had already embarked. The sun rises higher. Cypress Lawn East. Hills of Eternity. Eternal Home, Hills of Peace, Salem Cemetery, the Italian Cemetery, the Japanese Benevolent Society Cemetery. Lawnmowers sputter and cough out puffs of blue exhaust, then rumble to life and prowl the gentle slopes of the graveyards. In the lots of the car dealerships that clot Ceremoni Boulevard... Beads of dew glimmer on the polished hoods and roofs and trunks, while strings of red, white, and blue plastic pennants flick in the breeze, hopeful as America. Across El Camino Real The overnight clerk at the Zesty Mart prepares to go home. He's a heavily tattooed young man whose pierced ear and nose are connected by a length of steel chain and he wears the afternoon shift girl's name tag because he likes to mind-fuck naive customers into wondering if his name really might be Mindy. He notices that, once again, several cartons of Chesterfields have vanished on his watch. He blames their disappearance on ghosts. He will never inform his manager of his suspicions, and he'll never ask to see the surveillance tape to test his theory. This coming afternoon, though, he'll crawl out of bed and join his four roommates around the house bong, a complicated maze of habitrail tubes that once housed a gerbil named Happy. And while watching the smoke plumes rise from the mouthpiece, he will dreamily remark, Dudes, when we die, we'll all smoke Chesterfields. And although his friends will burst out laughing, thinking it's just stony talk, he'll find himself happy to believe in ghosts who jones for nicotine and remain brand loyal. It's the one belief he has that is unique and private and thus absolutely unassailable. The sun. Across Cypress Lawn West. The Greek Orthodox Cemetery. Green Lawn Memorial Park. And, finally, Woodlawn Memorial Park. The day rolls by and 122 people are interred in Colma, this self-described city-cemetery complex. Mourners lift their eyes skyward as jets taking off from SFO thunder overhead, drowning out somber-voiced pieties and whispered farewells. Solitary and rickety white-haired people struggle up the muddy incline at Pet's Rest to lay wreaths for departed dogs, cats, bunnies, goats, horses, ocelots. Four mortuaries, ten florists, and eight monument carvers within the city limits are open for business, ensuring that the dead are admirably furnished. One proprietor reminds a new employee to speak slowly and with pleasant, reassuring words when asking for customers' credit cards. And he instructs her to upsell only the lost, the desperate, the bewildered, the afraid, the stoic, the defeated, and the accepting. Never the angry, he says. It's best to avoid a scene. At the end of the day, the fog sweeps into Colma, a cold Pacific breath that flumes over the coastal hills. It hunkers down for the night, thick and mist-filled, alive with visible eddies and chutes that are swept by the chilled wind. Night shift police officers reporting to the station zip their toughy jackets against the cold and pin their badges to the outside. Through the night, they patrol the quiet streets, wait for intoxicated drivers leaving Malloy's to cross the center line on Old Mission Road. They intervene in a domestic dispute on Spindrift Lane, thwart lumber thieves loading a pickup behind the home improvement warehouse, break up a fight at the movie theater. They run passing checks through the cemeteries and sweep their spotlights over the fields of granite and marble, chasing away copulating kids who dart like sprites into the shadows behind mausoleums and obelisks and weeping angels, struggling to hitch up their pants, or just running bare-assed with their bundled clothes in their arms and their exposed skin shining ghost white. The next morning, one of these officers, Wesley Featherstone, a 27-year veteran, will not report back to the station. His Crown Victoria will be parked beneath the grand stone archway that leads into Cypress Lawn East, the driver's door ajar and the alert tone pinging softly. Sergeant Featherstone will be slumped behind the wheel of the cruiser, one hand reaching toward the radio, the other clamped over his mouth. His eyes will be wide and panicked. A lock of his thin hair, once red, long since turned peachy gray, will dangle from his temple, hanging all the way to his chin. Featherstone will be dead of cardiac arrest. Four dead men will sit atop the archway and pass a jug of daisy-petal pruno to toast their success. One of them takes a deep swig, dribbling onto his powder-blue tuxedo jacket, then hands the bottle to a hard-looking man with bloody fingertips, who pushes him off their perch. The man in the tux slams face down on the pavement, inches away from the cruiser's front bumper. He'll yelp and howl and curse the persistence of gravity even as his shattered bones begin knitting themselves together again, as ghost bones do. The rest of the gang will shinny down to the ground, and all four of them, laughing and swaying drunkenly, will gather around the car for a final round of taunting the sergeant's corpse. Then they'll stagger off to catch some rest. Even the dead need a little shut-eye sometimes. A 20-year-old Salvadoran landscaper reporting early for his first day on the job will hop out of a pickup truck, slap a goodbye on the quarter panel, and wave as his cousin drives away. As he passes under the archway, he'll glance into the cruiser's windshield and discover the corpse. This will be his first up-close glimpse of death, of an empty, defeated body. And as soon as he's able to unlock his legs, he will sprint down El Camino, get on the first bus he sees, and head out of town, anywhere, He won't care. He'll stare vacantly out a knife-scratched window as the bus rumbles through the foggy morning. The young man's name is Ángel María de Todos los Santos, and he will forever be haunted by the pop-eyed look of terror on Featherstone's face. He will come to dread the hour of his own death even more acutely, forever robbed of the ability to believe that God helps souls pass gently. He will not appear in this story again. To subscribe to The Writer's Block and hear more stories, please visit kqed.org/writersblock. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED.